Well, good morning. Thanks for coming out in this extremely cold weather. Hopefully you're a little bit warmer uh, by being in here, whether you're sitting closer to someone or uh, you are just enjoying the heat that has actually come on in this room. So thanks for being here this morning. You know, um, about three months ago, we started a class uh, in English as a second language class here at Grace, and I have been co-teaching that with Abby Dykstra, and it has been great. But there is uh, something about teaching English to people that makes you, uh, it kind of highlights what you actually don't know about your language. I don't know if you've experienced this, uh, but there are a lot of things we do and say that I honestly don't remember why. Like, I, I don't know why we have words that have uh, one, that's one word that has multiple meanings. Or my favorite, when we have words that are not only nouns, but also verbs, but they don't change. It's the same word. Let me give you an example. Um, weed, right? We can weed the garden, that's a verb. Or I can go out to the garden and pull a weed up, and that's a Noun, same word, like why? I have no idea, and so when I'm asked that, it makes me think about the language. And then you throw in, if you're in Colorado, and you happen to end up at a very special store, um, there's a whole nother meaning for weed, right? <laughs> we get caught up um, in all these different meanings, and it's so hard to h explain those because I just don't know, I've just always done it. And then there's Id idioms. Now, uh, here's some examples, I'm sure you've heard those. Idioms are words that when they're separated out individually, they mean one thing. When they're put all together, they mean something completely different. Let me show you what I mean. Here's some examples. Bun in the oven. Now, you probably have all heard that. Maybe you've used that one before, right? Bun in the oven, when you use that, you do not mean that you actually have a Rhodes roll in your GE appliance cooking, right? And what about uh, when you're told, go fly a kite, okay? They're not inviting you to go down to the hardware store to pick up some, some uh, string and some uh, plastic and some dowels and then head over to the park. Right? That is not the meaning. So um, it's, it makes that really hard when we start to talk about the idioms with people who do not understand English. And honestly, for myself, it's hard too because there are multiple times that people just start to create new ones, right? Um, all the time, there are new uh, idioms being added. Now, this is true for uh, the English language. And it's also true for the Christian language. If you remember the phrases that were up on the um, screen as we started this morning, uh, those are what I consider Christian catchphrases. They are things that um, are associated, well, let me, let me give you the definition of a catchphrase. It's a well-known sentence or a phrase, especially one that is attributed to a uh, um, famous person. And as Christians, we have done that. We've created our own phrases like the ones you saw, let go and let God. Uh, God always, when he closes a door, he always opens a window. We've attributed those to God and we've repeated them so much that they have become well-known and kind of just roll off the tip of the tongue. We've attached them to God, but they're really, uh, even though they're used with faith, they're really not based in faith, right? Um, in fact, we use those as Christians, but people in the uh, outside world, the secular world, use those phrases as well. When we use those, we can become very damaging very quick. And so today we're going to look at the damage that these kinds of phrases can have and how we can avoid getting caught up in using them. So our scripture today is this. Um, you want to read this with me? Let's read this together. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart 
Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, this is going to come up. This, this uh, screen is going to come up several times as I share today. And when it comes up, I want you to, I'm going to read it. And I just want to encourage you to, to read it out loud with me. Okay? Um, let's read it together when it comes up. If you feel comfortable, um, I guarantee you that it will make a difference in the end. So uh, feel free to join me in that. But before we dig in, let's just, let's just bring ourselves before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to get together to explore what you have for us, Lord. And as we look at the words we say and the things that we create and speak over people that um, aren't really based in Scripture, Lord, search our hearts, uh, tug at us, show us where we need to uh, change things, Lord. And as we meditate on your Scripture this morning and we... Um, See what you have for us in that, Lord. Uh, give us the way forward so that we can do exactly that, that we can be in your truth and not in phrases that we just create. Father, thank you for this time together, and thank you for the ways that you will uh, work in and through us this morning. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. So how do these phrases make damage? How do they do damage? Well, sometimes I think these phrases... We, we don't typically set out to hurt someone or change what they think of God, right? But they, we do use these as a deflection. You know, you've been in that difficult situation and someone's sharing and you're, you're, you're kind of caught off guard. And you're like, I don't know, what do I say? What do I say? And up pops in this phrase, well, just let go. Just let go. Let go and let God, okay? We become uncomfortable with people su suffering. And so we just, we just, Pick something that sounds good that we think can, can work. When we use these catchphrases, we water down our Christian faith at the best. But at its worst, these phrases can actually have the ability to shift our understanding of truth. You see, even though they may be well-meaning, well when we use them, they begin to take on a life of their own. They begin to shape what we think of as truth and can ultimately take on an entire persona of truth. As we repeat them to ourselves and to others, we begin to internalize what we're saying. And the problem with that is that it's a human-created truth. It's a fracturing of the truth, the Word of God, the person of Jesus. So if I were to ask you the question, where do we find these phrases? How many of us would be like, well, I, they, they sound biblical. I think that, you know, I mean, let God, I know I've heard that somewhere. Right? How many of us would think that? Or maybe we'd at least stop and go, well, let me think about that a little more before you catch yourself. Because you see, none of those phrases are in the Bible. They sound Christian-y, they sound good, but none of them are actual scripture. And what happens, even though they're kind of, some of them are kind of loosely based on maybe some biblical concepts, but what happens is that we continue to speak them and they kind of become this mantra which turns into this this truth this this almost scripture to us when we hear something over and over again it sinks in as truth it's like this if you tell so if you tell yourself that you can sing which i've done and i can't but if you tell yourself that you can sing and you continue to tell yourself that you can sing you begin to form in your head well hmm I think I can sing. Like, I think I got this, right? 
In fact, maybe you have a grandma living at your house or that you visit often that happened to come over one day when you were singing this especially boisterous uh, rendition of Jesus Take the Wheel, and she's like, oh, that's amazing. Your voice is wonderful. And all that does is you go, see, grandma thinks I'm pretty amazing. I can sing. And you know what? The world should hear it. Okay. Now, this is how I think America's Got Talent uh, creates some of the things we love to watch about that show. My husband and I uh, have seen that on various occasions. And um, now they do, you know, we do find really great singers out of that. But what I want to walk through with us is the idea of those who don't, because there's a parallel here. When you uh, are watching that show, uh, they tend to do a pre-performance interview. You know what I'm talking about? They sit you down, they show you kind of the lifestyle of the person, and they ask them questions. And almost always, you will hear parts of what I just said. You know, I have a great voice. You know, my grandma said, I sing like an angel. Like, she's never heard anything like it. My friends tell me, why are you hiding that amazing gift? Right? And then they hit the stage. And we know how that goes, right? They come out, they see Simon and everybody, and they're like, let me share my beautiful gift with you. And it's a train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck. They're off key, they're out of tune, and really you're looking at them and they're just like pained. They look pained. No stage presence, none of it. Well, we follow this same path when we use Christian catchphrases. But it ends in greater consequences than being booed off the stage or being on the next, uh, next day's media feed about how awful this person is. It actually has some really awful consequences and some damage that can be done when we use those phrases. It can distort our view of God. It can affect our relationship with others. And it can limit our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. Christian catchphrases can distort our view of God in this way. So remember the contestant kind of told himself something that affected the way he viewed about himself, right? He didn't, it didn't start out harmful, and the, he actually can sing. He's got the vocal cords. They work, so he can sing. However, what came out was not a melodious sound by any means. But the more he told himself he could sing, the more true it became in his mind. This is the danger that using catchphrases has. I don't think any of us who have said those phrases have meant to alter someone's view of God. But when we say things that aren't scripture, especially to people who know that we are Christians, and we attach them to Christian ideas and speak them as Christian truth, that's exactly what happens. It becomes truth to us, and it alters not just other people's view, but our view of God even if they know better. So this is not just something that happens, hey, I'm a new believer, and now that, that's kind of been spoken into me, and now I believe that. It happens, uh, well, let me, let me share a story about my dad. My dad is the greatest person I know. He has had the most, uh, most effect on my Christian faith. He's a man of deep belief um, and uh, always has been, as far as I can remember back. And so... Uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, my dad uh, struggled 
he had some news happen with work, and he had uh, some things happen uh, with him health-wise. And this is a man who would climb trees, much to my chagrin and my brother's chagrin, he would climb trees, he's 79, I think I figured that out, um, climbs trees with chainsaws. So he did everything, he was always active. And one day he called me, and he sounded off. Like he just, he, his voice sounded sad. He said, you know, things just don't excite me anymore. Like things I used to do, I just don't have any desire to do. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, my dad's depressed. Um, which was really, really hard for me because I have not seen that in my dad before. And as we talked more, he said, you know, Darla, I, I believe, I'm a believer. I uh, spend time in prayer. I am... Uh, strong in my faith, what's happening? Why can't I get through this? And, you know, I think that what uh, spoke into him at that moment, and I believe these, ca these uh, Christian catchphrases really tend to find us when we are at our lowest, right? I mean, that's usually when we say them to someone, is when they're struggling with something or there's a difficult situation or somebody's hurt, hurting. Right, that's when we say that. Well, that is actually uh, when I think they come out and really show how they distort our view of God. Because my dad was buying into this idea of that God helps those who help themselves. He felt like he needed to do something to get through this so that God would help him to do this. This is a man years and years in the faith. But it came out, and I heard that in his voice, and it about did me in. Because I'm like, Dad, that is, that, that is just not true. So the Christian phrases, catchphrases that we say can have a really strong um, and, and damaging uh, way of affecting us and distorting our view of who God is. Because if we believe that, then it means that we have to do something before God looks our way. It means we have to be in charge of it, and then maybe he'll help us out. Wrong view, wrong theology. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Christian uh, catchphrases affect our relationship, or our, distort our view of God, but they also affect our relationship with others. Remember the grandma in our, in our example here that didn't know what to say? So she just blurted out the first thing that she said. That was amazing. I'm pretty sure that when her son uh, got onto America's Got Talent and all of her friends saw that her son was on America's Got Talent, I'm pretty sure she regretted ever saying that and encouraging that, but she couldn't take it back, right? And I'm pretty sure that as she went on about her time with that with him, she would continue to feed that because you kind of can't go back. If you, if you end up changing and saying the truth, then all of a sudden either he thinks, wow, you weren't going to tell me that you're going to just let me burn in the end or and lose respect or they're like oh yeah you're just saying that right so she can't take it back and the same thing happens when we're in community with each other how many of you are in a small group no judgment just okay so this can happen in small groups right 
someone um, can be uh, sharing um, about something. Let me give you an example. Let's say John comes to a small group and he decides, you know, I just need to, I just need to tell people what's going on. And he starts opening up about his wife. His wife of many, many years has decided that she no longer wants to be a part of his life. She thinks he's a great dad, but you know what? I, I found somebody, she had an affair, I found somebody, you just don't do it for me anymore. And John is just laying this out at small group. And he's really struggling, like, well, what do I do? Like, do I, do I try to reconcile? Do I just let it go? Like, what, what should I do? And, uh, and somebody, you know, everybody's kind of nodding and yeah, yeah, I get it. And then somebody says, well, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Now, what do you think that does to John? When we're in community and we share these, these catchphrases that, that aren't based anywhere in scripture, what it does is it stops the conversation immediately. Because now John, who has just poured out his heart to you and shared what he's really struggling with, um, says, oh, wow. Okay, so, you know, these are Christian people that I've been in community with, and they're saying, well, you know, God doesn't close a door without opening a window. They've now spoken over John the fact that either God has decided to close the door on your marriage, something he sanctioned in the beginning, and now he's saying, ah, done with that. Like, you don't need, you don't need this marriage anymore. Or he's saying, go find a window. Like, find a way out. Like, what is that? And he's thinking probably that his small group is saying, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's finding a new woman. Maybe that's moving on and, you know, just making a different choice for you. And what happens is he stops sharing and everyone in that small group now needs to kind of follow, follow along in the footsteps of that believing, that thought process, right? Because how do you go back and go, wait, 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 that's not really what I meant. Really, uh, God has some other things and we're gonna look at those to say, um, because now they've lost credibility with John and anybody else in the small group too. If they have to go back on it and say, no, 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 never mind. I was just, I was just spouting that because um, it sounded good. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you see, when we use Christian catchphrases, we distort our view of God. We affect, it affects the, um, our, our interactions with others, our relationships with others, but it also limits our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. What about that audience that was forced to listen to this poor boy who thought he had a voice? How many times would they sign up to hear this guy sing? None, right? They've heard it. It was awful. It was not what they wanted to hear through their ears. It was awful. They would never do it again. And that is true for us too. If we screw it up the first time, we may never have an opportunity to share the gospel again. If we, as Christians, especially, especially when people know that we are Christians, when we spout things that have nothing to do with what is in the Bible, they take that as, well, that's what the Bible must say because you have shared it from a position of faith. And if they, if, if that messes with them, 
then we never get the opportunity to set that right. Let me give you an example. You know, uh, you know, we've all lived the last couple of years. Um, the pandemic showed up and that divided families and um, caused a lot of heartache and pain for people. And then we lived through um, the, the racial tension and all of the things that went along with that. And we're still dealing with that. And um, we have a great opportunity to share the gospel right? The faith that we have, the hope that we have, it's an awesome opportunity to do that. But if we resort to Christian catchphrases with people, that door is going to be closed tight. Let's, uh, let's think about, uh, we'll call her Mary, um, who was deeply affected by the riots in Minneapolis, lives in an area that uh, had a lot of unrest and um, Heard a lot of sirens, didn't know what was going on with her neighbors, didn't know what was going on in the neighborhood, and basically has some PTSD from that, right? And so she is coming to church, and she says, you know, I, I just am really struggling. I am so fearful. I still hear sirens, and it just quakes me to the core because I don't know what's going on or what could be happening. And as she shares that, some well-meaning person says, well, you know, God doesn't bring you into it unless he's going to bring you through it. Do you hear how that might shift what she's thinking? Think about it. If she has been deeply hurt by her situation and you've just said, well, if God brings you into it, she's not going to hear the well. It's like, well, if God, if God brings me into it. So first of all, we've shared basically with her that, hey, hey, God brought you here. You know, he's causing the chaos in your life. He wants to see, you know, you in pain and struggling. And if that didn't do it, you follow it up with, he'll bring you through it. Well, I don't know about you, but if somebody says to me, they'll bring me through it, in my mind, I've already gone to what that being through it looks like. And it's pretty rosy. You know, it's like, get rid of it and let's move on. But we all know that that's really not how God works right? Sometimes he lets us sit in things. So when we tell this person, um, tell Mary that God, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it, then she gets a distorted view of exactly who this God is. And you know what? She may never show up in our church again. And worse than that, she may actually never want anything to do with God because we've just said, that God doesn't care about your circumstance. He probably puts you there. And when she isn't brought through it in the way that she thinks it is, then God is also a liar, right? Now, we didn't mean that by it necessarily, but our words matter and how we um, speak truth, how we speak things and how it's seen as truth matter. And what those do, when we, when we use these Christian catchphrases, what it does is it creates a chasm between the God who is and the God that we've just represented to this person. People are either going to believe the catchphrases. This, this is what could happen from that. They're either going to believe the catchphrases and want nothing to do with the God we showed, showed them. Remember Mary? Well, God doesn't care. Doesn't care about your loss or feel your pain. And the one who expects action first and then gives blessing, the one, the one that brings you to the brink of destruction just to show you that he can rescue you, but he might not. Or people will hear our words and think, wow, that's all God is? Like, you can wrap it up 
excuse me, wrap it up in just this one verse. Well, I don't want anything to do with that. Is that even worth like signing on for? Or they might buy into the things that we've shared with them. They might say, hey, that sounds great. A God that brings you through all things that he brings you into, the one that helps you as you try to do things for yourself, the one that expects nothing from you, you can just let go and let God. And then the first time that those phrases do not stand up or they're proven wrong, they are out of there. They're like, wow, that, that God was fake. Like, why do I want to continue to follow him? And they turn away from God. And like that contestant and that audience, we may never have an opportunity to speak to them again. We can also take that from individually and the small groups and bring it into the whole church at large. Because when we create a culture where we're all kind of speaking to each other in this kind of nice, uh, Christian-y catchphrase stuff, then someone who comes in new, or even someone who's been here a long time, and all of a sudden something happens in their life that is just sends them into despair, or um, they experience something that uh, doesn't measure up to kind of those phrases that have been shared around, well, they leave. They're like, well, I can't... Uh, that's not, everybody's going to look at that and think, wow, well, they're, they're not really following, you know, they're not letting God, they're, they're not letting go and letting God, or they're not really trying to help themselves. And they leave. And sometimes they don't just leave the church, but they'll leave the faith because they will think that, um, that what they are dealing with isn't, isn't, isn't worth what God has to offer. So our words have some really powerful um, possibilities, and, and we need to be aware of that. When we, um, sorry, so how can we catch ourselves before we go way out of whack and continue to use these Christian catchphrases? How can we stop the damage from happening? Well, here it is. We've been saying it, and it's our scripture today. This time I'm just going to ask you to read this with me. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock, and my redeemer. You see, what we speak influences what we think, which shapes what we believe. I, I love that picture. What we speak influences what we think, which shapes what we believe. And if what we speak is a bunch of Christian catchphrases, then that will influ influence what we think about our God and about what he thinks about us, which in turn shapes our belief, the very core of what we stand on. And if that core is built around catchphrases, then it is built on lies. And the first time that phrase doesn't stand up, we're out. But what if we follow David's lead in this verse? This verse is written by David, the king of Israel, and he's talking to God here. Actually, he's crying out to God. He wants to be sure that what he is thinking and saying is pleasing to him, that it doesn't go off the rails and that it doesn't become something that it isn't. David knew that what he would say would need to come from a place of actual truth, the truth, not on something he heard from others around him. And he's the king, so I'm sure there were plenty of things that were told to him. He needed his heart to be grounded in God's truth. His words needed to flow out of God's truth. And how did he know what God's truth was? He meditated. He intentionally read, spoke, filled himself with God's truth. He filled his heart and his mind with it so that the truth would just naturally flow out of him. 
we're going to break this down just a little bit. So let's look at this um, verse again. It says, let these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Those first three words says, let the words of my mouth. Now we need to ask God for the words he wants us to share. Don't create words that make us feel comfortable. Don't speak things that sound good, but really are not rooted in truth. Let God guide and direct our speech. This means we need to be connected to God. If he's going to guide us and direct us, then we need to know what he says. That means, and I'm talking to myself here too, that we need to spend more time listening to God, reading and studying God's word than we spend scrolling through social media, reading the news, checking out the best authors. What goes in comes out. And when truth goes in, truth comes out in the way that we live and the words that come from our lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the meditation of my heart. I love this picture because what we say comes from a place of the very core of us, right? What is very core to us? Our heart, right? Everything originates from our heart. It's very personal. And meditation means it's intentional. So how do we make sure that what comes out of us is truth? We spend time meditating on truth. We let it seep into our very heart. We set our heart on characteristics and the promises of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love that it says that it's to be pleasing to you, Lord. That's our measuring stick for everything we say. Is it pleasing to God? Now, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm saying. Is it, is it going to make sense? Is it going to make me look bad? Is it going to get somebody angry? But I do not automatically go to, wait a minute, does what I'm going to say please God? Well, truth pleases God. So we need to take a moment and we need to stop and think about what we're saying and use that as our measuring stick. Is what we're going to say going to be truth? Will it please God? And then David ends with this in this verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. I love this. This is like the ultimate truth. If we don't say anything to anyone else, we can say God is our rock and our redeemer. He's the same in all situations. He's our rock. He's the foundation. He's our strength when we have none. He won't be shaken. And we all have situations that shake us to the core, right? But we can stand in the midst of it because he's our foundation. And God is our redeemer. We've done nothing on our own. We have no claim to heaven on our own. We're stuck in our sin on our own. But God sent Jesus to redeem us. And it's because of that sacrifice on the cross that we're made right with God. It's because of his blood that we are healed. Now remember, what we speak influences what we think, which shapes what we believe. When we follow David's lead, we actually flip the hour to that statement. What we believe becomes the starting point that then influences what we think 
which then creates our words. So this year, let's put away Christian catchphrases that lead nowhere, and let's ground our words in truth, the unchanging, eternal truth of Jesus. Don't we want to be people that speak truth in the difficult situations? Let's not shy away and hide behind Christian catchphrases when we're in community with each other. Don't we want that for our small groups? Don't we want to be places where people can bring real stuff and do real life with real people who follow a powerful and real God? And don't we want our world to see and know the truth that is found in the person of Jesus? So I want to challenge us to start today as individuals, as believers, as a church, to replace the catchy phrases that we have uh, created and replace them with God's truth, okay? We're going to look up here on the screen. I have some verses. Now, there are tons of them, and I would really encourage you to look up God's promises. But we are going to, what I, what I want to do is challenge us to, to look at these, read these, meditate on these, um, instead of the catchy phrases that we have. So I'm just going to take a couple of these because I am long. So, uh, but let's look at, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think about that. If that had been spoken to my father, it never would have entered his mind. He'd say, you know, I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm struggling but God will give me rest. I will find rest in him. Doesn't mean everything will go away, but I will find rest in him. And how about do not be anxious about anything, but in every, every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, if John had heard that, if we had spoken to John that in every situation, if we present our requests, our, our worries, our concerns, things we need to understand from him, that the peace of God, we don't have any idea how that happens, but the peace of God will give you, uh, will transcend you and will come upon you and you will have his peace. And just one more, never will I leave you, meaning God, never will I forsake you. What if we spoke to people who come in hurting and worried and concerned and we say, you know what, I have no idea what's going on with you and it really sucks, but I do know this, that God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. You will always find him by your side. Now, what I want to do is make you super uncomfortable. So are you ready for it? Um, it's a great way to start the year, become super uncomfortable. We have a phrase that I think we uses, is used way too often. We say, I'll pray for you, right? Has anybody ever do that? Or I'll pray about it. Um, and we may mean that, but a lot of times it's used to stop uncomfortable conversations. You know, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you, and then nothing happens after that. So we're going we're gonna to change that one right now. What I want you to do, usually, you know, whoever's speaking will pray. I'm not going to do that. You guys are going to do the work today. So what I want you to do is look around the room, give a guy nod to somebody that you don't know, and when I say go, I want you to get together with that person. You're going to have to move around. And I want you to say, how can I pray for you? And let's be real with each other, okay? Let's be real with each other about what we need prayer for. And I want you to take a moment before you do that 
before you answer, and I want you to, I want, it, I want you to tell the person who, what you need prayer for, and before you pray for the person, I want you to remember our verse. May the words, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God, my rock and my redeemer. I want you to just take a moment and think. Let him fill you and then pray for that person. And then um, while Scott continues to play, I want you guys to then switch roles, all right? And just go with it. I know it's uncomfortable. We're, we're going we're gonna to break these Christian uh, catchphrases by, by speaking truth to each other, okay? All right, find your person. Give the guy a nod. And get to be about prayer. And the band will be coming up, and they'll start playing. If you uh, aren't done yet, please continue to pray for each other. Oh, my gosh, that's...